0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the First Impressions series here at There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind the scenes extras at Idea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm here today to talk about my first impressions of Eternals. I'm recording this on Saturday. I saw the film for the first time on Thursday evening, and I am glad that I waited over 24 hours to do this recording, because the more that I let this film sit with me, the more my my thoughts and feelings are developing, and I'm very eager to see it again. I have tickets to see it again tomorrow, Sunday afternoon, but I'm considering going again later today, Saturday, because I can't stop thinking about the movie. So for my first viewing on Thursday night, I saw the film in the Dolby Theater of my local AMC. It was packed. There were a few empty seats, but not many, and it was a great crowd who... Seemed very engaged, clapping, reacting, all of those things. Very much looking forward to seeing this in IMAX, because as great as the Dolby is for Surround Sound and and the, the seats in the theater at my local one are the nice leather reclining seats, it's very comfortable, I do think the visuals in this film will stand out even more on the IMAX screen. So going into this film, I have to admit that I, as much as I didn't want to be, was impacted by my knowledge of the negative critical reviews out there and the exceptionally low Rotten Tomatoes score that the film has received. And I think it, over the past couple of days, that critic score has gone even lower. I don't pay much attention to Rotten Tomatoes in general, I'll be honest. But as much as I don't necessarily believe it has any real value in the fact that it's an aggregate of critic scores and it seems like any publication can become a critic, I, I don't quite trust the, the process, nor do I really think that number means anything. In reality, it may not mean anything, but it does have an impact on people's perceptions, and that is meaningful too. So I had been looking forward to this film for a very long time. Filmmaker Chloe Zhao being attached to the project as the director. She's an O'Tor an director who won an Academy Award, and this has been part of the conversation leading up to the film. The fact that it's based on characters and ideas from from Jack Kirby whose work also inspired the film Thor Ragnarok which is one of my favorites the fact that the cast is is incredibly accomplished and made up of incredibly talented and charismatic performers and of course the excitement over delving into a part of the MCU that we haven't been in before thinking about what these new characters and what this new world could open up for the future of the MCU in phase 4 and beyond so I'm going in on Thursday night with both this genuine excitement that I've had and also this frustration that I was experiencing over the over the negative reviews that were out there and questioning the extent to which there was much value in considering those. And also slightly then concerned, thinking, okay, well, what if there is uh, some merit to the negativity that's out there? Is this film going to be one that I don't respond to in the same way that I've responded to other MCU films? So all of this kind of floating around my head, but I go in and as soon as the film starts, I was immediately into it. And, you know, I'm always the type of person who is looking to enjoy the thing that I'm going to. I'm not looking to nitpick or criticize it. Of course, When there are things that I see on screen that I don't respond well to, I will acknowledge it and not gloss over it, but especially with the MCU, I always have such a good time watching these movies, and it was the same for Eternals. In fact, I might argue that it was more so for Eternals than some of the other films uh, in the MCU. Even on my first viewing of Shang-Chi, which, don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved, and I loved more and more so upon subsequent rewatches. There was an aspect to that film the first time I saw it that I was like, huh, okay, is it starting to drag a little bit? This is going in a direction that I'm not sure. I never felt like Eternals dragged at all. For a two and a half hour plus movie that deals with a lot of different characters, a lot of different time periods in history, I was not bored once. I was engaged the entire time. And I'm very much looking forward to going back and experiencing it again. So I will establish now a very clear spoiler warning because I do want to talk in detail about some of the things that I really loved about the film, as well as some of the things that I still have questions about. And while I imagine that anyone listening to this has probably seen the film on the off chance that you're listening because you're curious to hear this first impressions before you see it, I do highly recommend seeing it first, letting the experience wash over you, forming your own opinion and so on. So spoiler warning, I'm about to get into detail. Okay, here are some of the things that I absolutely loved about Eternals on First Watch. First and foremost, the characters. One of the things that sets the MCU apart from other superhero films, apart from other genre films in general, is the attention to character and the way in which characters can be developed in such short periods of time. There are 10 Eternals in this film. Plus, there's the character of Dane Whitman who is going to play a bigger role in the MCU moving forward, it seems, if we can take the post credit scene as any indication. So that's 11 people that this film asks you to care about to some degree or another, even though they don't all get totally balanced screen time. I will say that I have fully formed opinions on all 11 of these characters. I do not like them all equally. There are some that immediately stand aside, some of my other favorite characters in the MCU as standouts. And there are others that I didn't respond as well to, but I cared about all of them. There are none of them that I would say, oh, that person was just there. And this was difficult because I and others have talked a lot about how well Joss Whedon balanced the six OG Avengers plus Nick Fury plus Loki in the original Avengers film. How that cast of characters then expanded in Age of Ultron. How the Russo brothers and Marcus and McFeely expertly directed and wrote the huge group's of characters in Infinity War and in Endgame, how James Gunn was able to so effectively introduce the Guardians of the Galaxy in their own ensemble film, and for us to get so quickly attached to that group of characters. I had concerns that Eternals wouldn't necessarily feel the same way. Chloe Zhao is known for her gorgeous cinematography, her attention to landscape, and not necessarily known for her character work. I'm unfamiliar at the moment with other work of the writers of this film, although who they are is something that I do want to look into a little bit more before I next talk about this film. So as I said, I was unsure about what the characters would be like in this film, and how much I would be able to attach to them. But as I said, upon first viewing, at least, I felt like they really stood out. And I can't uncouple my experience watching Eternals with my experience watching Dune, which I went to go see a couple of nights earlier. And seeing Dune, it absolutely blew me away. It It's one of my favorite films of the year. It's my favorite non-MCU film of the year. And this is also a genre film, a sci-fi film based on existing intellectual property, has had iterations of it done before. And unfortunately, maybe for me and for others, there has been an invitation to compare and contrast Dune and Eternals, perhaps because they both deal with this large-scale fantastical world they both have the word epic being thrown around a lot in conversation in some ways i have to admit yeah there are ways in which dune worked better for me personally than eternals specifically in the areas of sound design and in some of the visual work which is is not to say that eternals wasn't absolutely gorgeous because it, it is and i am very much looking forward to seeing it again Perhaps my views will change. I'm also going to be seeing Dune for a second time. Perhaps my views will develop. Sound design, I think, is a no-brainer. The sound design in Dune was absolutely incredible, and I was a little bit underwhelmed by the score of Eternals. I have to say, I do have to say I love the needle drops, and specifically the usage of the Pink Floyd song, Time, as the Marvel opening title card came on screen, was incredible inspired. I thought that was a fantastic choice. And there are a few other delightful needle drop moments in the film, but the score left me wanting a little bit. And again, I don't mean to over compare and contrast Eternals with Dune. They they are very different films, very different directors. Eternals has a place in the larger tapestry of the MCU in a way that Dune is its own thing, at least for now. (laughs) Um, But what I'm getting to is that, as much as for me seeing these two films a couple of days apart, I'm looking at Dune as being a model of creating a particular kind of atmosphere. What worked for me about Eternals way more than it did in Dune was the character work and the character development. Not to say that there aren't characters in Dune that I like, because I do. But there's something to MCU characters. I don't know what it is. I don't know how much of this is me. I latch onto them in a way that I don't necessarily with other films that I see. And the other thing that really works for me about the MCU, I talked about this in the quote-unquote snooty academic episode with Daniel a couple weeks back, is the invitation to explore ideas. Eternals is absolutely the perfect film film for capturing the intent behind My There Was an Idea podcast, an exploration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe through concepts in the humanities. This is an incredibly rich text to look at in thinking about ideas about history and mythology and legend and superheroes and gods and humanity. There's so much here to unpack, and that's what I'm really excited to get into in subsequent watches. I know going back to the movie theater, some of my thoughts on the visuals or the sound or the characters may change and may develop over time, but what I don't see changing is the fact that the ideas of this film really hit me on first watch. This is such a great movie for a history nerd. We see the Eternals interacting with one another and interacting with the world around them and other humans in various points throughout the course of human history, and I found myself very excited to see those flashes to different parts of the timeline, thinking, ooh, when and where are we going next? And inserting these, not even superhuman, but non-human characters, these Eternals, into familiar historical landscapes was so satisfying on so many levels because because they, they feel simultaneously like reflections of what humans throughout history have imagined to be gods or pinnacles of humanity in their strength and in their powers and in their beauty. But their presence in these periods in history are also making those myths. A great example of this is the scene in Babylon in which Sprite is telling the story that we recognize as the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the oldest piece of literature that we have knowledge of from the history of all human civilization. And Gilgamesh is the name here of one of the other Eternals. And in many ways, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which comes from ancient Mesopotamia, is, is the world's first hero story, superhero story. We have Thena, the goddess of war here among the Eternals, who is known for her presence in Athens, clearly being derived from the goddess of war, Athena. So the characters being based on these mythological heroes, Icarus, of course, too, but then also inserting these characters in those moments in history, it's clear that they are the ones who are inspiring the myths. It's so cool. Um, Another scene that comes to mind is when Phastos' son calls Icarus Superman because he saw him on TV and and he's flying around and shooting laser beams from his eyeballs. And it suggests that in this world, the ideas of these mythological heroes, the ideas of superheroes themselves, the idea of Superman himself is inspired by the presence of the Eternals throughout all of human history. I love this. There's so much to get to dig into here, and I'm sure there's so many more examples that'll come up as I watch the film many more times. The other thing that's fascinating to me conceptually is the fact that the Eternals are not gods, that we find out in this film that they are in fact creations, robotic creations, and that they are cut from the same cloth, so to speak, as their villains, the Deviants. And I think the Deviants, while many might find them to be lame MCU villains, um, you know, they're CGI creatures. I don't particularly think the look of them is anything mind-blowing by any means. But conceptually, I love the idea of the Deviants as being oppositional to the Eternals because they are both forged from this common ancestor, so to speak. And digging into what separates Eternals from Deviants is such an interesting question that not to get too much into it, but it, it to me, it almost mirrors this question of what separates Homo sapiens from Neanderthals or other human species, right? The other thing that I can't uncouple my viewing of Eternals from, and I, I feel bad that I can't uncouple this viewing from my viewing of Dune, but I also can't uncou- uncouple it from... The fact that I am reading cover to cover for the first time, a book called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. I've read pieces of this book before, but as I said, I'm digging into it cover to cover. And there are so many interesting questions it raises about human history. And it's making such an interesting companion piece to Eternals and what I've been thinking about over the past week. I, it's hard for me sometimes to get past my humanities teacher lens of thinking in terms of text sets. And so, thinking of the Eternals, and so thinking of Eternals as being part of a text set with Dune and with Sapiens for me is ripe for unpacking some really interesting ideas. And so you get a sense of what's going on in my head (laughs) right now. And I'm not at a place yet where I'm clearly articulating it. Again, this is my first impressions episode, and I'm already going off into some different directions. But I hope to be able to fully articulate some concrete thoughts about these concepts moving forward. And I will be guesting on the Vox Popcast again with friend of the show, Chris Maverick, and his team at Vox Popcast. Next week, we'll be talking about Eternals, so I intend to bring up some of these ideas on that show, and you can look out for that coming soon. But anyhow, I bring up Sapiens because in that book, the author talks about different theories of why Homo sapiens emerged to be the only human species in the genus Homo when there were others that existed at the same time. And that one of those theories is that Homo sapiens wiped out other human groups Perhaps violently through something akin to genocide, or perhaps simply through having better better survival techniques. There's also some evidence of interbreeding between Homo sapiens and Neanderthals, for example, but not enough to suggest that they were able to fully merge. They're, they're two species, just that there may have been some crossing there. There's a lot to get into. It's very interesting stuff. Why am I talking about this? Well, I'm talking about this because is there some similarity there with Eternals and Deviants, right? Um, eternals and Deviants may be coming from the same genus, so to speak, if we're using this analogy. Eternals triumphing over Deviants. Why? Right? What makes them different? And there are answers to that, but it's an interesting question to to think about. There's also a lot of moral and ethical questions this film raises, as we even see that in the film. We, of course, see that as being a central conflict between Icarus and the other Eternals. We see Kingo, who decides to take the stance of disagreeing with the actions of Cersei and the other Eternals, who wish to stop the emergence and wipe out the Celestial capable of forming billions of of new worlds and lives for the sake of saving those lives on Earth and saving the planet Earth. Kingo saying that he is not going to fight against them like Icarus does, but that he's going to take himself out of the equation. I thought that that was an interesting ethical dilemma that's brought up here as well. And again, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of some of the ideas here. One of the things that strikes me about MCU Phase 4 is the idea of villains not necessarily being what they seem like. For example, in Black Widow, people are like, oh, Taskmaster's lame. This was not a good villain. Well, Taskmaster was obviously not the villain. But frankly, Dracoff is not even really the villain. Dracoff is just kind of a lame person. But the villainy in that film comes from how humans treat each other and from control and from abuse the villainy in WandaVision is coming from trauma and from grief and from manipulation. It's not just Agatha being a, a traditional witch. And even in Shang-Chi, which gives us one of the best MCU villains in a long time, that character is human and, and certainly very flawed and has certainly been capable of evil, but has such a beautiful connection to our main protagonist, Shang-Chi, and in many ways is, is reflected back in Shang-Chi. So I think that the MCU is getting increasingly complex in their portrayal of villains and of conflicts. And while on surface level, the Deviants may seem like kind of lame CGI monsters, I think what they represent is very, very interesting. Icarus as a character didn't do it for me as much. I will say that I was surprised By the route that the film took in having him be this traitor and this villainous character, I was not expecting that. I'll be very curious to hear what my other colleagues in the podcasting world and other friends think of this. I I don't know if maybe that was just me, that I missed something and perhaps it was obvious. I'll certainly be looking for clues in my second viewing. In general, he didn't really do it for me as a character. As I said, I I do have favorites among the 10, 11 characters in this film. Some of the ones that really, really stood out to me uh, do include Cersei. I thought that she, as... I didn't necessarily expect her to be the protagonist of this film. I didn't necessarily expect there to be one character who seemed like a protagonist at all, but I will say it seemed like it was her. I thought that Gemma Chan was stunning in the role, and I really hope to see more of her in the MCU moving forward. Angelina Jolie as Thena. Oh my goodness, I... Maybe I'm biased here. Angelina Jolie is one of the most beautiful people in the entire world. She was lovely in this role. I love how strong yet quiet this character was. I loved her relationship with Gilgamesh. What a beautiful friendship based on empathy and compassion. The fact that Athena was ill and a bit incapacitated for most of the film, you don't get to see the extent of her strength, I actually thought was an interesting decision, although I would love to see more of her moving forward as well. As much as I love Cersei and Thena, the other standouts for me were far less expected. Barry Keoghan as Druig is perhaps the most compelling character in the entire film for me. I loved watching him, and I was so intrigued by his sense of morality, by his relationship to humans. In many ways, this film feels like a love letter to humanity coming from the Eternals, and especially Druig and his relationship to humans, I thought was fascinating. And I'm so looking forward to spending more time with that character as I rewatch the film. was not expecting to latch on to him as much as, as I did. And the other thing about Druig that made him stand out to me was his connection to Makari, another standout. So these four, I would say, are, are my favorites upon first watch. Macari was Awesome! I thought that the way they showed her superpowers was so cool, her super speed, and specifically the scene in which she's fighting, beating down Icarus toward the end of the film. Her connection with Druig was so cute. Their flirtation and their chemistry I thought was absolutely wonderful. She was so fun to watch. I loved the actress's performance. Her name is Lauren Ridloff. I was unfamiliar with her work prior to this film. I know that she is a deaf actor playing a deaf character, which which of course is new for the MCU and really cool. I loved that she used her super speed to steal a bunch of stuff from all over the world and just gain knowledge. Such a cool character. Really hope to see more of her as well. So so those are really my four standouts there, and particularly Druig and Macari. Like If we could see a spinoff show of just the two of them and their relationship, I would absolutely love that. All right. So I'm going to cut off my first impressions here. I think I was a little bit all over the place in what I talked about here today. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this film for a second and more times and sharing with you all the way in which my ideas change and grow. Since Thursday, we've been seeing some of the audience reaction pouring in, and there's a tremendous discrepancy between the critics rating of Eternals and the audience rating of Eternals. And what I... I'm very excited to see is how this film and how people's perception of this film in the MCU develops over time. It's very new right now. I think there's a lot of people who are going to immediately love it or immediately hate it. I'm so curious as to what role it's going to play in the MCU moving forward. I will say that I am solidly in the camp of loving this film. On first watch, do I have critiques of it? were there some things that I wish that maybe they did a little bit differently or a little bit better? Sure. For example, for it being a new direction in the MCU, something that it's being criticized for, for whatever reason, for being different, even though it seems oftentimes critics want the MCU to be different. What do critics want? I don't understand. This is the problem with an aggregate score because all critics are different. But regardless, putting that aside, in some ways, I kind of wish that it was newer and bolder and riskier than it even was. And I think I was looking for that a little bit and at the end of the day I didn't necessarily feel like it was all that different and of course as somebody who loves the MCU I loved it. I'm not I I don't need the MCU <laughs> to be super different um but because there was so much discourse about it being a, a risky bold move I I guess I didn't necessarily think that there there were some things with the storytelling I think that they could have, I think they could have gone a bit riskier than they did. Doesn't necessarily take away from what's there for me, just something that's on my mind. But regardless, Eternals, fantastic movie. Time will tell. I think I need to see it a few more times to be able to say where it stands alongside the rest of Phase 4 for me. Definitely can't make any claims to that after just one viewing. But You can stay tuned to upcoming episodes of the podcast to hear me talk more about it. In the meantime, Monday night's episode will be an MCU character draft with Trey and Jude of MCU Need to Know. It does not yet include any characters from Eternals. And then after that, I will be talking about Disney Plus Day, which comes up on Friday, November 12th. You can look out for a deep dive analytical episode on Eternals coming up sometime in the future. And as always, thank you for listening and feel free to reach out to me with your thoughts on Eternals.